Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, and you can also call in with your prayer requests. We're standing by every weekday. We've got pastors from this one-hour period from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Mountain Time standing by to take your phone calls to pray for your prayer requests, to answer any questions you might have about the Bible or maybe how the Bible applies to your life. We're here to do that for you, and I'd love to hear from you. Give me a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000 to call in. And you can text us at the text line, 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line is 720-336-0897. I want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and up into southern Wyoming on Grace FM. Welcome to the program. So glad to have you with us today. We also want to welcome those who are listening on our sister stations, specifically, uh, first and foremost, Radio by Grace, which is a network of stations all over the U.S. uh, based out of Amarillo, Texas. But They have stations all over the place, and we are so glad to be Uh, partnering with them and have our show hosted on many of their stations. And so welcome to those of you who are listening on Radio by Grace. You're hearing the show live today, both those listening on Grace FM and Radio by Grace stations. You're hearing the show live. Today is Friday, January 14th. And uh, we also want to greet those who are listening on our other sister stations on Hope FM on the East Coast in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those on Truth FM in Tennessee. We want to greet our friends listening on Higher Rock Radio in Idaho. I actually just had the pleasure this week of having a a Zoom call with the Higher Rock Radio folks out in Idaho and uh, just love what God is doing there in the Treasure Valley around the area of Boise and Meridian. So welcome to all of our listeners there in Idaho. Glad to have you with us. Just a heads up that you listening on Higher Rock Radio, on Hope FM, and on Truth FM, you're hearing the program on a one-week delay. So we want you to know that and keep it in mind, but we don't want that to hinder you from calling in and texting in and being a part of the show. This is kind of an interactive show where we take your questions, we take your prayer requests, we get to hear your voices. And um, so we we want you to call in, even if you're listening on a one-week delay, but we just want you to be aware of it. So again, the number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Again, the text line 720-336-0897. I always encourage people, take those numbers, store them in your phone for uh, Calvary Live, because as you do that, you know, maybe you'll be driving your car at some point listening to the show, and it won't be a good time for you to, you know, write down those phone numbers as I read them. So whenever you hear them and you're at a place where you can, I encourage you write them down, put them in your phone, 
And that way, when you're on the road and you're listening to the show, you'll still be able to call in, you'll be able to text in with your Bible questions and your prayer requests. So once again, the number to call, 303-690-3000, and the text line, 720-336-0897. We also want to greet those of you who are listening online. So in addition to our over-the-air stations, which are now uh, broadcasting all over the United States, we have um, our online audience, which is also growing as well. I'm looking at a map right now of where we have people tuning in at this moment. We've got people tuning in in Las Vegas, Los Angeles, San Francisco Bay Area. We've got people up in Oregon and Washington, a lot of folks in the Midwest, as well as down in Texas. We've got some listeners uh, in the Great Lakes area and in the East Coast. We've also got some international listeners. I see one in Ukraine. And of course, we've got listeners up and down the front range of the Colorado Rockies, which is where I'm based out of. Um, just so just a few words about myself. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And our church is a Calvary Chapel affiliated church here in this great city. And our our church um, is really conveniently located for those of you who are uh, north of Denver in this northern Front Range region. So uh, we are located on Highway 119, just uh, west of I-25, on Highway 119 and just east of the city center of Longmont. So uh, Highway 119 is the main road that goes from I-25 out into Longmont and then down into Boulder. And our church is just on the north side of Highway 119. You can actually see us from the road. In fact, I'm looking out my window right now and I can see the traffic on 119. And so if you are in this area or within driving distance, because we're close to the highway and we're close to uh, County Line Road and I-25, a lot of people join us who commute in from other communities as well. So if you are within driving distance of us, we would love to have you worship with us on a Sunday morning. We have three in-person services every Sunday at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., we like to study through the Bible verse by verse. We like to worship the Lord with our whole hearts. And so we'd love to have you come and join us. This particular Sunday coming up, uh, we have guest worship leaders. We have a band that our church actually supports. They're, they call themselves musicianaries. They travel around the United States doing outreaches and music. And whenever they are in the Colorado area, they come and they lead worship at our church. They're called Final Greetings. And so they're uh, some young guys, you know, really enthusiastic, great hearts for the Lord, and they're going to be leading worship for us this Sunday. So we'd love to have you come out for that. Maybe if you uh, know some younger people that you've been thinking, you know, I want to take these young people to church. What's something that they could connect with? Well, then we would love to have you join us if you're in this area. Again, you can find directions and more information on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. This Sunday, our message is going to be from Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the letter written to the church in Ephesus. Now, we're not studying uh, neither through the letters in Revelation, um, nor really the Ephesian letters or church. What we're studying right now, we've been in a three-week series in which we've looked at um, three passages in the Bible which tell us about God's work in the city of Ephesus. And this is part of our vision series in which at the beginning of every year, we seek to align our vision for our lives and for our church with God's vision. And so this year, what we did is we took these three passages, which tell us about the Ephesian church, 
uh, passage in Acts 19, another passage that's found in Ephesians chapter 4, and then this passage in Revelation chapter 2, and we're taking all of these and seeing, okay, what do these passages show us about God's vision for our church and for our lives? So that'll be this Sunday. Uh, we've looked so far at a community transformed by the gospel, a community living out the gospel, and now we're going to talk about a community persevering in the gospel, what that means for us and for for us both as as a church and as individual followers of Jesus. So we'd love to have you. Again, our website, whitefieldschurch.com. If you're not in our local area, you can watch there our services online. Uh, we broadcast our 9.30 and our 11 o'clock services both online, so we'd love for you to check that out. Our physical address is 2950 Colorful Avenue. And again, we are just on the north side of Highway 119 here in the city of Longmont, and so we'd, we'd love to have you uh, join us for that. We've got kids' classes and all that good stuff. So with no further ado, let's go to our first caller, Sydney, in Montgomery, Alabama. Hi, Sydney. Welcome to the program. Sydney, you're on the air. Yeah. What can yeah. we do for you? You know, I pray for my wife. She got a sister. Her name is uh, well, my name is Dihari. Her name is Mrs. Dihari. And she got a sister to her home. I want to pray for Elin and for my family. Whichever way probably they're going through, some of them. And me okay. and everybody yeah. else. All right. Let's do that. Let's pray for you. Heavenly Father, together we lift up to you, Sydney. We pray for his wife. Lord, we pray for his children to be healthy. Um, Lord, we pray for the specific healing that his wife needs in her arm. And we do, do ask, Lord, that you would um, touch her with your healing hand. Lord, that you would manifest the healing power of, of your strength in her body. And Lord, we pray for him as well. We pray for Sydney, and we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen him in all the areas where he needs it as well. So, Lord, we ask blessing. We ask that they would be in the midst of these difficulties, Lord, that they would turn to you rather than turning away from you. And, Lord, that they would be rooted and grounded in their faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sydney, thank you so much for calling in. God bless you. Hey, listening to Calvary Live, this is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible. Maybe you've got a question about something going on in your life and what the Bible has to say about it. Or maybe you have a prayer request. We'd love to pray for you, and we'd love to answer those questions you have about God and about theology and about the scriptures. Uh, my name is Nick Cady, pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm your host here every Friday. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Well, it looks like with the end of that call, we have all open lines. So we're going to jump over to the text line. We did have an interesting question come in. And this was, uh, here is the question is, uh, what does it mean when it says you are gods in Psalm 82 and in John 10? Now, this is a question we answered last week as well. So I'll just give you a, a brief, concise answer on this. Um, in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking to some people who um, they are upset. They're accusing him of blasphemy for claiming that he, a man, is God. And so Jesus answers them there in John 10, verses 34 and 36. He says, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. And so Jesus essentially says, uh, well, he 
literally says, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, then how can you say that uh, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. And so this has brought up a lot of questions like, what does that mean that Jesus said you are gods, right? Because there are some, some ideas out there that people have, right? That as human beings, there is something uh, divine about us, right? That we are gods and that Jesus here is affirming that. Now, what Jesus is doing, he's actually quoting from a psalm. I'm going to look at it. It's Psalm 82. And in Psalm 82, there's this passage where it is recounting how God gave the law to the people of Israel in the wilderness. And as part of that recounting, he says, you are gods after he gives them the law. So what does he mean by that? I mean, is he saying that they as human beings are somehow divine? And, and is Jesus claiming that because God said this, therefore he has the right to say that he's God? In other words, maybe Jesus is diminishing his own deity by quoting this verse is the concern that some people have. So there's a lot of confusion over this um, that can be cleared up pretty easily by understanding the fact that actually the word that's translated there, because we remember that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek, and that word gods in Hebrew is the word Elohim, which is not the same as like using the personal name of God, right, which would be Yahweh. It's this other word, Elohim, and in the Hebrew language, that word Elohim can mean either gods or it can mean judges. And this is interesting because we understand that this is also part of the biblical understanding of who God is, is that he is the ultimate and great judge. He isn't just one of the gods, if you will, as there are many supposed gods out there, but he is the God, and he is the judge. And so, in other words, when he says, you are gods, in Hebrew, that would have been, you are Elohim, and in the context, we understand that it means, you are judges. Now, to show you that I'm not just making this up, um, in Exodus 21, verse 6, and 22, verse 8, if you read it in English, here's what you'll read. It's talking about laws of slaves and masters, and the word translated master in English obviously is referring to a human master, and it is using the word Elohim in the Hebrew text. And we translate that as master because of the context. We understand that it's not saying that these um, landowners were, um, that they were gods. Rather, it's saying that they were masters who ruled over those who were in indentured servitude in their households or in their in their companies. And so there's a good example there of how that word can be translated in different ways. But Jesus rightly points out, you know, saying that the Elohim, you know, was used there. So what is Jesus doing? Is he diminishing his own deity? Well, I would say uh, certainly he's not diminishing his own deity, nor is he saying that human beings are divine in the same way that he is divine. Rather, he's kind of diffusing their argument. And what's really actually really interesting about it is that Jesus is using their, you know, the Pharisees' own exegetical method. In other words, their way of reading the Bible and interpreting it. He's using that same method to show them that they had no grounds for accusing him of blasphemy. 
Now, right after this, of course, Jesus goes on to continue stating that he is God. And in fact, he even uses, and this is the most incredible part, Jesus uses the name Yahweh to speak of himself. And you might say, well, where does Jesus use that? Well, what Jesus is doing is he's invoking the name of God, the personal name of God, the I am. And he does it seven times. Seven in the Bible is the number of perfection or completion. And so seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes I am statements. And on some of these occasions, like when he says, before Abraham was, I am, it says they picked up rocks to stone him. Why would they do that? Are they upset that he's using bad grammar, right? Shouldn't he say before Abraham was, or was, I was? But of course, this isn't a grammatical error. What Jesus is doing is he's saying before Abraham was, I am. You see, the word Yahweh comes from the Hebrew for to be, right? That's why we, we use this phrase that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the eternal existent one the one who was, the one who is, the one who will forever be. He is Yahweh, the one who is. And, and so Jesus, by saying, I am, he's invoking that name of God that was given when, God, when Moses asked God, who should I say sent me when he was at the burning bush? And God said, tell them that the I am, the existent one, the God sent you. And so Jesus, by doing that, he's not just using the word Elohim, right? That general word, which can mean gods or can mean judges, it can mean masters, depending on context. He's very specifically saying, I'm not just a God. I'm not just a master. I'm not just a judge. I am Yahweh come to the world in order to be the savior that you need. It's absolutely mind blowing. And just like, um, man, it just grabs you by the heart, right? It grabs you by the collar and says, this is who Jesus is and you can't get around it. And so I think it's so beautiful and so cool. So, hey, thanks for that question and uh, God bless you. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. We'd love to answer your prayer requests. Uh, We'd love to pray for them on the air. We'd love to answer the questions you might have about the Bible. And so give us a call. Let's go to our next caller, Jesse in Louisville, Colorado. Hi, Jesse. Welcome to the program. Hi, how's it going? Going great. Good, good. I just got a prayer request. Um, I've been attending this church. I mean, when I first started going, I really liked it. And then as when... Time kept going. I, you know, got into it more, got more involved. Then got a uh, Bible study going at my house. But the more and more I keep going and more attending, I start finding more things that I don't like, that I don't, not used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be where I'm at right now, or if I'm supposed to be somewhere else. Um, it's just different, you know. It's hitting me a little bit hard. Yeah. And I just need a prayer to, if this is where I'm supposed to be, to keep me there, or if not, so I can find the place where I'm supposed to be. I don't want to be jumping from church to church. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good heart to have, you know, not wanting to jump around. And let me pray for you first, and then I, I'll ask you a few questions that I'm curious sure. about myself. So let's pray first. Lord, we lift up Jesse to you, and I thank you for his heart that he wants to be in fellowship, and he wants to be in a 
body of believers who are pursuing you and seeking you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd make it really clear to him if this current church that he's in, if this is a church that he should stay in, or if it's a church that he should move on from. And um, Lord, I pray that you just make that abundantly clear to him. Uh, speak to him, guide him, lead him. Lord, I pray that he wouldn't be led um, by anything else other than your spirit. You know, we, we're we warned not to give the devil a foothold. We're warned to uh, preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so, Lord, help him that he would be led by your spirit in this decision rather than by any other outside forces. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesse, I would just be curious, could you maybe expound on what are some of those things that you've seen that have caused you to start thinking this way? Well, um, I started going to this church before this whole COVID thing happened. Mm -hmm. So I attended it maybe like two or three times before. And it seemed fine, and I know I ran into some people that, when I was a kid, they were there. So mm-hmm. it kind of, you know, felt good seeing those people there. And then once COVID hit, I can only watch it online, so I liked it. And then now that they're opening up more, it's what I don't like about it, and I've never, never liked it. But I'm seeing it more, and I'm not. I'm feeling uncomfortable as when. I know we're supposed to, we can talk in tongues, or we're supposed to, I guess, when we get, like, the uh, spirit. But here they go a little above and beyond. Because here they start, you know, they're jumping around everywhere, running around and falling on the ground. Uh, it's. I feel like it's more for show than what they actually do feel. And okay. like, that's what really gets me. And, and I, I mean, I like these people. They're really friendly and I, I like it there, but it's just, uh, I'm not used to that. I've gone with Pastor Ed and I've gone to, with uh, Cody King because Cody King was in my same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But I started going to these guys because they were in Spanish. And I like Spanish too, but they're just pushing me more out because of the, what they do. Gotcha. Yeah, I know Cody. Uh, Cody's a great guy. And uh, we do we do a lot together. So, <clears throat> yeah, you know, I guess have you, I, I'm assuming you're familiar with what it says in 1 Corinthians 14. Are you? Uh, not off the top of my head. Okay, well, that would be the first place I'd send you, um, is let's uh, have you read 1 Corinthians 14. Now, here at my church, I we were doing a study of 1 Corinthians. We paused for Christmas and then this New Year's series, but I left off halfway through chapter 14, and then I think it's two Sundays from now, I'm going to finish chapter 14. So I only say that to say this, that I would love for you to tune into those messages. You can even go now and listen to uh, the first half of chapter 14. You can find it on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. And uh, listen to the first half of that, then also tune in for part two. That is the most important passage in the Bible for the very issue that you're talking about. And it talks about order in the church, particularly how the gifts, and not just any gifts, but specifically what we call the sign gifts, meaning prophecy and tongues, 
There's also another sign gift, which is healing. That one's not as not really addressed in chapter 14. But prophecy and tongues, how they should be used in the church and the order of things in the church. And so we see that Paul, on the one hand, says in chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And then he says, but especially that you would prophesy. And so he kind of contrasts these two spiritual gifts, the gift of prophecy and the gift of speaking in tongues. And he says at one point, verse 5, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, right? And Paul then says, I speak in tongues more than any of you guys. So Paul, he's not anti-speaking in tongues. But what he is anti is people who are doing it in a disorderly manner, in a way that's detracting from the worship service, detracting from other people hearing God's word and hearing a message from the Lord um, because they keep getting interrupted by things or they see things. He even says at one point, if somebody comes into your church and they see a bunch of people speaking in tongues, they're going to think that you guys are all crazy. And and that's not going to help them. In other words, that's that's not going to be helpful. It's It's not going to be a good outreach to the world. He says it would be so much better if they could come in and they could hear God's word spoken in a way that pierces their hearts. And so he says, look, I hope you all speak in tongues, but basically your Sunday gatherings are not the place to do it because it's it's not helpful for others. It doesn't build up others. And um, it kind of just builds up the person doing it. And it doesn't help uh, outsiders to understand what's going on. So for all those reasons, Paul makes it very clear. He says, in your church services, I don't think you should be speaking in tongues. And and again, he's not against speaking in tongues, etc. He just wants it to be done in an orderly manner. And one of the things that's really important that he says is that he says the um, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now, that principle doesn't only apply to the gift of prophecy. It also applies to the gift of speaking in tongues. That's actually the way Paul uses it. And what he's saying is this. You know, some people sometimes say, well, when the Spirit comes upon me, I just speak in tongues, and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just completely out of control, and the Spirit's in control. And Paul is essentially saying, actually, no, that's not how it works. Uh, You do have control over what you do and when you do it. And he's basically saying, and I want you to exercise that self-control, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit for the sake of love and the higher calling you have in Christ. Um, so, you know, just um, to wrap it up, Jesse, I think that to be really clear, I, I do think that what, what they're doing is contradicting uh, what it's written here in 1 Corinthians 14. Right. And I think it might be something for you to discuss with the leaders there, and maybe it is something where you need to uh, consider you know, your future involvement. Right. Yeah. Like, cause like I said, I, I, I started a Bible study at my house. I brought my brothers over, my sisters, my moms joined in. And, and when we do the Bible study, it's perfectly fine. You know, we're going by verse to verse and it's fine. It's just on Sundays and Wednesdays when we go. It just, okay. It's a little out of hand. Yeah. I see what you mean. Okay. So, um, I'll be praying for you. That's that's my opinion. I think that you can do the verse-by-verse studies in other places uh, without necessarily needing to be part of that. But I would say before you go, have a talk with the leaders. And also before you go, study up on 1 Corinthians 14. See what the Bible says. So, um, 
yeah, Jesse, thanks so much for calling in and, and I'll be praying for you and for your, for your church and your involvement there. Perfect. Thank you very much. All right. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Katie, And with the end of that call, we have one open line. And right now we're going to go to our uh, two-minute mid-show break. Right after that break, we've got Jeffrey and Patrick on the line. But we do have one open line, and we'd love to have that line be filled up if somebody out there has a prayer request or a question about the Bible that we can answer for you here on the air. Maybe your question is one that other people are worrying about or wondering about too. So don't hesitate to call in wondering, oh, my question's not good enough. We'd love to answer that and maybe it'll minister to somebody else. So give us a call 303-690-3000 or text us 720-336-0897. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and things going on in your life. If you'd like some biblical perspective or counsel on those, we'd love to answer those questions you might have. We also are here to pray for your prayer requests. And this shows every day, every weekday, Monday through Friday from 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time. But we have many listeners who are outside of that time zone, many of you listening live in that same time block in your own uh, time zone. So welcome to the program, wherever you're tuning in from, including those tuning in online. We have full lines right now, but whenever you hear some call end, one of our calls end, just know that means a line has opened up and you'll be able to reach us and you can jot down the number now if you need it later. The number is 303-690-3000. Well, let's go to our next caller. We've got Jeffrey in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. Hi, Jeffrey. Welcome to the program. Yeah, how's it doing? I hope you're having a great day. Thank you. What's up? I was kind of wondering, because Revelations chapter 1 talks about the different churches, and the Church of Philadelphia is the only one that's found to be faithful and true. And because of that, they are kept from the hour of trial. So where do they get raptured from? Hmm. Well, let me see. I'm not sure I'm following your connection between rapture and Philadelphia. Help Help me understand this. So you're saying Philadelphia, which is in Revelation chapter 3, and what, what happened there with them? They was the only church that was found to be faithful and true, and because of that, they were kept from the hour of trial. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're, it's kind of like uh, the Egyptians, not the Egyptians, the Israelites, when they were slaves to the Egyptians, they were kept from, you know, all the plagues. They were kept from the angel of death that took the firstborn and and all that. And, and I wonder, you know, where they get the rapture from? Because it's not meant, the word rapture is not mentioned in the Bible. Yeah. Okay. So now, now I got your question. Okay. So uh, the verse, there's one verse in particular that you're referring to. That is Revelation 3, verse 10, where it says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world 
to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, um, let me answer that for you. And it is related to your question about the rapture. But to answer your question about the rapture, um, you know, you ask, where is this concept of the rapture coming from? It's not, the word isn't found in the Bible. Well, it actually is found in the Bible, depending on which language you're reading the Bible in. So if you're reading the Bible in the word, in, in the Latin language, you would see the word raptizo in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it means to be caught up or snatched away. So that's where we get the idea of rapture, right? So rapture is just a, it is, um, it's our term that we use for a principle which the Bible teaches. And, you know, there are other examples of this where we believe something that the Bible teaches and we give it a term, even though that term itself isn't found in the Bible. The most famous example of this would be the Trinity, right? So the Bible doesn't say Trinity, but it teaches it. And Trinity is the word which we've given to describe that teaching. Well, in the same way, the word rapture is not found in our English Bibles, but it is a concept that is taught in the Bible. And, you know, a lot of people would say, well, the rapture is taught in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'd say, yeah, that's true. But you know what? I think the rapture as a doctrine and teaching is, is actually more convincingly and more holistically taught by looking at the entire Bible. And the concept, actually, we first run into it in the book of Genesis. So if you remember, here we have this concept, this principle, that God, when he brings judgment on the earth, meaning temporal judgment, right? Temporal judgment's opposed to um, eternal judgment. So like, there's eternal judgment that takes place, which is what happens to your soul for all of eternity. But there's also temporal judgments, right? These are times like throughout the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, God brings a judgment to people who are still alive here on the earth. So, for example, a, an example of this would be Sodom and Gomorrah. Another example would be when God brought a flood upon the earth, and yet he saved the righteous rather than judging the righteous together with the wicked. Now, you mentioned um, one more example, which is in the book of Exodus, when it talks about the angel of death. That's an interesting one because the first several of the plagues actually were suffered by the Israelites, not only by the Egyptians. There were a few plagues that only affected the Egyptians, and then there were a few plagues that actually affected both the people of God and the enemies of God, which was which is really fascinating. Um, but generally, the principle would go back to Genesis, where we see, first of all, that God is going to bring a temporal judgment upon the earth, upon the wickedness of the earth. And so what does he do? Well, there's only one righteous man found, and that's the man Noah. And so God preserves Noah and doesn't allow him to be judged in this temporal judgment um, with the wicked. Then several chapters later, we read about how during the time of Abraham, God is going to bring a judgment upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Isaiah tells us that the reason for their judgment was their pride. And so we see that God is bringing this judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And what happens? Well, it says that righteous Lot, as he's called in the book of Hebrews, is there with his family. And so Abraham begins pleading with God and praying. And he says, God, if there are 50 righteous people in the city, will you spare the city for the sake of 50 righteous people? And God says, yes, I will. And then he keeps going down, 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 down until he gets to 10. 
and then he stops. And then what you realize is the next part is that God judges the city. And so you say, well, was it just that there weren't enough righteous people in the city? Well, what God did is he took the righteous people out of the city before he judged it. And so again, once we see, once again, we see this principle and Abraham actually articulates it there where he says, is it, um, is this your nature, God? Isn't it more your nature that you would not judge the righteous with the wicked? And so we see the righteous being pulled out when God brings the temporal judgment. So then uh, we come to the New Testament and we see that this teaching, again, with uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that God is going to bring temporal judgment upon the earth. We see it also in the book of Revelation, including that verse you mentioned. God's going to bring another temporal judgment upon the earth during the time called the Great Tribulation. But before he does that, he is going to remove the righteous before he brings the judgment upon the wicked. So this is in accordance with God's nature and what he has done in the past. And so um, here's, though, how I would interpret for you Revelation 3, verse 10, the verse you asked about specifically. And the question is this, when it talks about patient endurance, they have believed, therefore God is going to keep them from the trial that is coming on the whole world. Well, in Revelation chapter 4, it begins to describe uh, a couple things, but one of the main things it describes going on from there, it begins to describe the time of the great tribulation on the earth, when God is bringing judgment upon the earth as what we would call the final wake-up call for people to turn to the Lord and be saved. And so what he's saying is because you have had patient endurance, right? Endurance in faith and patiently waiting. He says, basically, I'm going to save you from the trial that is coming on the whole world. He's going to rapture the church there in Philadelphia before the time of great tribulation. Now, here's what's interesting. That time of great tribulation hasn't yet happened. A lot of people would look at the church in Philadelphia and they look at the seven letters. There's several ways of understanding them and interpreting them. One of them would say these letters aren't only to these churches. They were definitely to those churches, but they also apply to churches at different times, different uh, periods of church history, including up to this present day. So when we read that letter, it's a letter that we can read as believers and understand what is going to happen in our day. So when the time of great tribulation that comes on the whole world comes, the great tribulation, those who have been patiently enduring will be rescued from it. And that's what we call the rapture. And last thing I'll say, Revelation chapter four, verse one, actually you see the rapture take place. John, the revelator gets a preview of it. And that's what you see there in chapter four, verse one, John gets caught up to heaven with the sound of a trumpet and from heaven, then he watches the events that take place down on the earth. That's so, right. That was very helpful. We are a part of God's elect, and God's elect will protect us. Well, God will protect his elect. Amen? That's right. Amen. All right. Hey, thanks so much, and uh, thanks for your patience. Let me work all that out. All right. God bless you. Thanks for calling in, Jeffrey. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie from Whitefields Community Church. Taking your calls and texts live on the air, give me a call, 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. Hey, before we go to our next caller, I wanted to read this text that came in. Someone wrote in to remind me that there is a ministry at Calvary Aurora called Su Gracia, which is their Spanish ministry at Calvary Church 
with Ed Taylor in Aurora, Colorado. So uh, we had the color Jesse earlier. He was in Louisville. And so just want you to know that there are good verse-by-verse uh, Spanish language Bible teaching churches out there. And that is a good one that you can get connected with if you're in that area. Let's go to our next caller, Patrick in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Patrick. Welcome to the program. Patrick, are you here? Looks like Patrick might have dropped. Uh, yeah, and so let me just uh, answer his question here on the air. I know that he was holding for a while. So uh, Patrick asked, you know, weren't the Jews trained to stone people in the Old Testament? Why did they not stone Jesus for blasphemy? Patrick, that's a great question, and there's a really good answer to it. The answer is this, that actually there were people, um, if you read in the Gospel of John, it says that when Jesus said that phrase, which I mentioned in a prior call, where he said, before Abraham was, I am, it says they picked up stones to kill him. So they were going to stone him to death. And the reason they were going to stone him to death is because that was the punishment for blasphemy. So they absolutely wanted to. Now, what held them back? The thing that held them back from uh, stoning Jesus for blasphemy was the fact that when the Romans took over uh, Israel, the Jews lost the ability to govern themselves according to the law of Moses. So they were now subject to the civil law of Rome. Now, remember that the law of Moses, 306 laws that comprise the law of Moses, they, um, they are broken down into three categories. Now, these th three categories um, can be seen, if you think about it, it's very clear. They, they break down into three categories. Now, what's interesting is um, when you read the law of Moses in the Old Testament, the three it doesn't say, okay, here's the civil category. Here's the, um, here's the ceremonial category. You know, here's the moral category. They're all intermixed because in that society, it was a theocracy in which, um, let's say, a civil infraction also counted as a ceremonial infraction, right? And a ceremonial infraction was also a civil infraction. Um, and a moral infraction was a religious infraction, right? So it was all tied together. But as soon as Israel was not governing itself, which happened several times throughout their history, but of course, at the time of Jesus was with the Romans, they lost the ability to govern themselves civilly, right? And so what that meant is that they lost the ability to carry out, um, according to the law of Moses, the death penalty for civil infractions or religious infractions or moral infractions. So, so for example, um, this was one of the reasons why they, they wanted to kick out the Romans was because they believed that they needed to govern themselves according to the law of Moses. This would be similar to, now I don't want to, you know, I, I hope everybody understands what I mean by this. It would be similar to the way that many uh, Muslim communities want to govern themselves by Sharia law. Now I'm not saying that Sharia law is the same as the law of Moses, but I'm saying that that desire to rule over and have your civil law be defined by your religious law, right? Your sacred text law um, is the same idea. So when it came to this, there was a hesitancy because the Jewish religious leaders during the time of Jesus understood that, um, that they would be breaking the law of Rome if they carried out um, capital punishment for crimes that the law of Moses required capital punishment for. 
So on the one hand, these people felt like we can't really live out Judaism as long as the Romans are here um, because we're missing this whole part of our law, the civil part of our law, and the punishments for those law we can't carry out. The Romans could carry out um, capital punishment like they did with Jesus, but the Jews were prohibited from doing so. That's why when the Jews wanted to kill Jesus, they had to get the Romans to do it. And that's why you see this partnering between the two uh, groups there um, at the crucifixion of Jesus. So hopefully that answers your question. Um, that is, you know, the, the issue that they were facing at that time. And it's why, like when you go to the book of Acts, Paul the Apostle, before he was an apostle, before he was a Christian, Saul of Tarsus, he was leading these people around to go and pull people out of their houses and to stone people like, uh, for example, um, Stephen, the first martyr, stoned them to death. But you got to understand that by doing that, that was essentially kind of mob violence. It was, uh, it was off the books, right? It wasn't officially sanctioned, although it was kind of like, kind of like the, the Sanhedrin gave their okay to it, and yet Paul had to kind of do it off the books. It wasn't officially allowed because the Romans were ruling Israel. So thank you for that question. It's a good one. Um, thanks, Patrick. Here listening to Calvary Live. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. Let's go to our next caller, Sue in Loveland, Colorado. Hi, Sue. Welcome to the program. Hello. Well, thanks for calling in. What can we do for you? Yes, I was uh, wanting to know what's the correlation of where it says um, Peter went to Jesus and asked him how many times should he forgive his brother, seven times seven. And then back in Daniel, um, it says 70 weeks is determined upon the people, upon the holy city to finish the transgressions and to recon reconcile. So the 70 weeks, and the seven times seven, you know, it's to me, it's 490 days. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm just wondering, uh, um, is that how many times we actually have to, um, how, how am I wanting to put this? How many times uh, Jesus actually forgives our, our sins? Okay, yeah, so good question. Um, now, I mentioned to an earlier caller that the number seven, like Jesus says seven I am statements. He says seven statements from the cross. The number seven is super significant in the Bible because it represents wholeness and completion. And so um, whenever Jesus is using these terms, like 70 times seven, he doesn't mean, you. you know, his answer to their question is not, you should forgive somebody 490 times, but you should not forgive them if they do it 491 times. Nor does God mean that he will forgive you if you sin, you know, 399 times, but if you sin 492 times, sorry, you've just done it too much and there's no more forgiveness. That's not the point there. The point is basically to say this, um, and I think this would be a, a way that I, I like to put it to people. Um, you know, if the number is 490, and you were keeping track of how many times you had forgiven somebody, you know, somewhere in there, you're probably going to lose count just because it's hard to keep that much track of something. And that's kind of the idea. Keep forgiving until you lose count of how many times you've forgiven and then forgive some more. In other words, there should be no limit. That's really the point. 
using the number 70 and 7 is to say it should be an unlimited willingness to continue to forgive. Um, and you know, one of the most challenging passages, I was telling this to my wife and to some friends the other day, for me, one of the passages I come back to all the time is found in Luke chapter 6, which is where we have uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. But he says this thing there that always strikes me. Here's what he says. Um, you know, he says, Love your enemies, do good, and give, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And right before that, right, he talks about um, forgiveness. He talks about a few other things. But the point is that he's, God's calling us to, be, to share his heart and to share his actions. And in the ways that he's loved us, he's calling us to love others. And that phrase always gets me. You know, give expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. I know so many times I'm like, well, that guy's so ungrateful or, you know, he doesn't appreciate all that I do or that person's so evil. How can I continue to forgive? And this verse basically says that that's exactly what God's done for you. And so the only proper response is for us to do it as well. And, and so, um, yeah. And as far as the correlation with Daniel, when Daniel uses 70, that is actually a formula. And it says it right there in the text. It's a formula for a time frame. And it's, so those seven weeks um, go with seven years, right? So the seven weeks uh, correspond to seven years, a day representing a year. So it says 490. If you look at the time from when Daniel spoke that, you know, around the time of the occupation, right? Then when they, when the, or the, sorry, not the occupation, when the Jewish people were taken to um, first Babylon and then Babylon was overtaken by Persia. When you look at that and you do the math, you realize that the 490 years actually corresponds with the, the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem um, during his lifetime. And it's actually one of the most fabulous and incredible prophecies in the Bible, that the Bible actually predicted to the year when Jesus would come into Jerusalem, 490 years, 70 um, times seven weeks meaning 490 years. So it's it's absolutely fabulous. So two different things. I, I get your point. They are both using this same formula, 70 times seven, but they're referring to two different things. That answers a lot. Cool. I'm glad. Thanks for calling in, Sue. God bless you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, listen to Calvary Live. We've got about seven minutes left in the show. Let's go to our next caller, Abraham in Greeley, Colorado. Hi, Abraham. Welcome to the program. Hi, how's it going? Going well. Can What's up? Yep, you're here. Oh, yep. There we go. Um, so I guess my main question is, um, I know obviously like the end of Mark and the end of um, Luke, I believe, you know, we're called to um, essentially basically spread the message. Um, I the, uh, the text that came in. Um, basically to all creation. And one of the um, hardest things, I guess, for me is like, it's easier for me to present the gospel to people that um, I have more in common with than, for example, let's say like homosexuals um, who I don't share 
you know, um, a similarity to, I guess, in that way. But I, I do want to love them in the same way I love others. Um, I want to be compassionate and share to them the, the light of the gospel. And um, I guess my biggest question, long story short, is um, how can I portray the gospel and, and portray that love that Christ has given me um, and warn them in a way where um, I don't present them as the abomination, but rather the sin in which they dwell in? Yeah, and that's a great question. I do I do think it it is a matter of love and, and living out the gospel, right? And if you think about this, that Jesus said in John twenty twenty one, just as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. Well, let's actually dial back and think, how did the Father send Jesus? Jesus didn't come to us because uh, of anything lovely within us that he desired. It was because um, he actually loved us for who we are, right? And so the idea there with somebody that you may not share certain things in common with, you share humanity with them, right? They're, they're fellow human beings, and you've been a recipient of God's grace. God came to you when you weren't particularly uh, lovely or attractive to him in order to reach out to you, in order to draw you in. And that's the amazing thing about grace is that God um, doesn't give grace because we are lovely, but by his grace, he makes us lovely. and so. Um, I guess the main thing I would tell you is it's really hard to reach people who you don't love. So number one is uh, ask God to just fill your heart with love for those who are different than you. And because that's what he did for you, right? His heart was full of love for you. Um, and so ask him to fill your heart with love for these particular people that you're wanting to reach out to and struggling to, to feel motivated to reach out to them. And the other thing I would tell you is uh, seek out and build friendships with them. Uh, the one number one thing I've heard from a lot of people who are in the LGBTQ community is that um, that they feel that Christian people don't like them. That sometimes they feel that Christian people try to reach them, but they feel that Christian people don't actually love them. And I would say that that's something we should actually listen to them on. Like we should hear that and we should say, well, that's incredible because look at Jesus. He goes and he speaks to prostitutes and tax collectors. These are people with, not only does he not have that in common with them, but I'm sure that some of their behaviors he found to be um, an abomination. And yet he goes to them and there's something about it that they can tell that he loves them. That even though he doesn't agree with what they're doing, he loves them and they want to be around him. It says that the common people love to be around Jesus. And so I would say, ask God to fill your heart with love for these people, his love for them, and um, and seek to befriend them and show them kindness and love. You know, showing kindness and love doesn't mean that you agree with everything that everybody does. I mean, any parent can tell you that. Any parent truly loves their children, even when they hate what their kid is doing. And so, um, yeah. And one last thing I want to tell you, Abraham, I have a book that is going to be released in just a couple of weeks. I'm going to talk about it more on the show in the coming weeks, but um, it's called I Could Never Believe in a God Who, and one of the chapters is I Could Never Believe in a God Who Doesn't Affirm Some People's, um, I forget what it is, Sexuality, Orientation, Love, etc. And I talk about the questions that people ask about the LGBTQ stuff and, and how we should respond biblically and as, not just biblically, but practically as the people of God in love. And so um, I would just encourage you to keep tuning into the show and keep an eye out for that book. I really think it would benefit you. 
um, in answering this question. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Let me pray for you before we go. Lord, I pray for Abraham, and I thank you that he desires to have a heart that's aligned with your heart, and he's he's honest enough to admit where he's struggling and where he he has an area to grow. So, Lord, I do pray that you would uh, fill his heart with your love, and I pray that you would help him to communicate that in a way that other people receive it and understand it. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you, Abraham. Thanks for calling in. Likewise. All right, bye-bye. Hey, we've come up to the end of our show. I see we had uh, one caller who we didn't get to. We also have some text messages. Um, One of the questions was, who are the Quakers and what do they believe in? That might be a question we can get to next week. uh, But the short answer for you is Quakers are an Anabaptist group that would be somewhat similar to uh, modern-day Pentecostals in that they really wanted to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so there were some very good things about the Quaker movement. There are also some somewhat questionable things, but but generally I'd say, yeah, they're they're fall within the fold of Christianity in the sense that they are Anabaptists, which means that they baptize believers as opposed to uh, infants. Um, and yeah, they they tend to be kind of a precursor to the modern Pentecostal movement. Hey, we've come to the end of our show. My name is Nick Cady. I've been your host today. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Check us out online. Maybe join us this Sunday. Our website is whitefieldschurch.com. Have a great rest of your day and a wonderful weekend. God bless you, and I'll be with you again soon. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.